We were young until we weren't, but the books stay the same. tea got my special christmas hershey's kisses got my book we're set do you need your uh christmas special hershey kisses to get through a podcast no it's just uh my sister bought them for me yesterday or not yesterday a couple days ago and they're like my favorite part of christmas every year so just you know a treat for me (laughs) okay I mean, like, I like spending time with my family, too, but... No, 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 no. I mean... (laughs) These only come out around Christmas time. They're candy cane Hershey's Kisses, so they taste like peppermint. You want to know something funny? What? Peppermint gives me a headache. Like, I cannot... Yeah. Like, I can't eat candy canes. Oh, that's bizarre. Everything about us is bizarre, (laughs) but... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I just think it's funny because peppermint's kind of like my cure-all for everything. I mean, my, in general, like uh-huh. if I have like nausea, eat some peppermint. Normally it's better. Headache, peppermint. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> so it's funny that your body has like the exact opposite reaction. Oh, what can I say? We're just completely opposite people. Indeed, indeed. And I guess we'll get to see how opposite we are today on... Return of the King. Oh, yes. The finale. Uh, Wait. It's my turn. It's your turn. Dude, yeah, do so, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Welcome to Reread, the podcast where we reread books that we read when we were children and see if they hold up. And today we're talking about a book that I technically did not read as a child. <laughs> Return of the King. I guess your only experience with this book is the movie itself. Yeah. And like, I mean, I'd read the previous two books in the series, so I feel like we can get away with it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I suppose uh, because it's it's a tradition by now. Uh, I, I also want to conclude the Encyclopedia Saga. Yes. I, it sounds more epic than it is because <laughs> there isn't any really more information other than apparently <laughs> there's um, some... Lord of the Rings convention. David Day, I guess, crashed this convention. Wait, so he just rolled up and was like, hey, yeah, I'm so, David okay. Day. Uh, it's called Oxenmoot. I guess the Tolkien Society puts it together. David Day attended Oxenmoot 2004, yet failed to pay for his attendance. In the minutes of the Tolkien Society committee meeting held on uh, October 30th, 2004, it states that Chris the chairman, I suppose, of the Tolkien Society, has also ran to David Day to ask him to pay his registration for Oxenmoot. She was instructed by the meeting to keep badgering him about this since he seems to feel his quote-unquote celebrity status exempts him from such mundane details. And then later, about a few months later, oh there's another meeting, and in the minutes it's recorded, since David Day has still not paid his registration for Oxenmoot, it was agreed that he should be blacklisted for future events. David Day, folks. 
But I, I, (laughs) (laughs) oh God, Uh, Lord of the Rings drama. On on that note, I, there are many encyclopedias, atlases, books of knowledge surrounding the lore of Lord of the Rings. Two that stood out where a lot of people were saying these are great books, great resources. One is the Atlas of Middle-Earth by Karen Wynne Fonstad, and forgive me for pronunciation. Another one is um, a book by Christina Skull and Wayne G. Hammond called The Lord of the Rings, A Reader's Companion. Uh, that, that's a smaller version of a larger tome of knowledge that they've written that's specifically angled at being your companion through your read of Lord of the Rings. So both of these books are highly praised, and I guess this is where we... Uh, yeah, plug, pl- plug, yeah, plug, the, plug. This is where we plug our, <laughs> our affiliate link with Bookshop. Basically, it's a website that has teamed up with independent bookstores across the nation. The idea is that it takes on Amazon because fuck Amazon. So if you, you know, if you buy books, buy books from there. Because that money actually goes to the bookstores rather than to Jeff Bezos. So our affiliate link, bookshop.org slash shop slash reread podcast. If you visit there and buy books through that link, Morgan and I get 10% of the proceeds, which helps us eat food and survive. Yes, if you would like to help me pay for more of my little candy cane <laughs> Hershey's Kisses <laughs> and also support independent bookstores. This is the most awkward freewheeling <laughs> plug of all time. I mean, you included the important thing, <laughs> which is <laughs> Amazon. There's nothing else that really matters. Yeah, but also if you visit that link in particular, you'll see book lists that we've put together for Books that we have read so far, including The Chronicles of Narnia. Wow. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Whoa. Goosebumps. Huzzah. And of course, Lord of the Rings. You know, bookshop's great. Give them a look. Give us some money. And f- Amazon. And f- Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that's. Yeah. That is the conclusion of the epic encyclopedia trilogy. It was great while it lasted, but let's get back to business with yes. Return of the King. Morgan, I, yes. I, I'm sorry that it's, I'm really making this all about your opinion with the start of these, <laughs> but you are the one that has always been skeptical of Tolkien's greatness. How did Return of the King live up to your non-childhood experience with it? <laughs> well, uh, I think that... Of the the three books of The Lord of the Rings, which were, you know, separated out by the publisher, I think Return of the King is the weakest. I enjoyed it the least of the three. I can't, It was kind of declining order for me. Like, I really, really loved Fellowship. I mostly enjoyed Two Towers with a few exceptions. And then I found Return of the King very, like, mixed. Much more akin to my experience with The Hobbit. So... That was a little sad for me that, you know, I I was really pumped after Fellowship, mostly pumped after Two Towers, and then, you know, I'm sad that we couldn't finish with me being just unreservedly 
happy. Although I will say, I think I also went in with a slight bias because right before I started reading Return of the King, I was on YouTube and this like video popped up as recommended <laughs> and it was like the real hero of the Lord of the Rings. And it had Sam's face, you know, in the <laughs> thumbnail. And I didn't actually watch this video. So it could be that this is an excellent video, really beautifully done. I don't know. But I just for some reason, felt so deeply angered, not because I don't love Sam and think he's a wonderful, heroic character in many ways, but because part of my, both the rewatch I did of the movies this past summer and then now rereading the books, part of the whole experience for me has been really appreciating Frodo so much more. I started reading this book with this huge, like, I think, anger in my soul that people discount Frodo so much. <laughs> and so I think that there was a part of me, and we'll get into this, that was upset with how the narrative itself kind of pushes Frodo to the side in a story that I think is, you know, it's supposed to be in many ways his story. We can we can talk about that later, but how, how are you feeling on your reread, Casey? Well, on, on that note, in his letters, Tolkien, I think a couple of times has said that he considers Sam the real hero of the trilogy. So there, which probably is why it plays out in the way that it does in the books, because that's the view that Tolkien had himself. I agree with you. This is definitely the weakest. There are moments, of course, and, and there are very charming elements. Like, I think we'll get into this about how the majority of the first half of this book is basically just from yes. Merry and Pippin's perspectives. If you wanted more Merry and Pippin action, and there are some really yeah. heartwarming moments with both of the characters. Uh, if you wanted more of that, Return of the King has got you because it is all Merry and Pippin action <laughs> for most of the time. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I suppose, you know, given one of the themes of this, really all of Tolkien's work, is the degradation of things <laughs> over time. It is fitting that Return of the King is the worst of the Lord of the Rings books. It's not that it's uh, bad coincidentally. Oh, it was course. an intentional decision by Tolkien to make it, <laughs> to make it worse. See, when Clive does a bad two. thing, it's just because uh, Clive is bad. When Tolkien f***ed <laughs> up, it was intentional. <laughs> Well, of course, that's just how it works. No, 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 no. It's I think there's there's two issues. Well, there's a there's a few issues to why I think it's worse than the mm -hmm. other ones. The battle scenes. <laughs> there's a very huge chunk of this book that is just dedicated to the Battle of Minas Tirith. And in fact, really, most of the book of the first half of this book is dedicated to setting up this battle going to this battle and then having this battle and then also some of the aftermath of the battle we haven't really discussed in depth about tolkien's <laughs> ability to write battles but the number of times that he starts a sentence and lo and behold it's so aggravating. <laughs> and I don't know if that's like a feature of, of paying homage to medieval style of writing. Whatever the case, it feels extremely archaic. And while there are moments that are cool, 
for the most part, it just feels... Uh, it's just a lot of yelling. Yeah. A lot of fighting. They fight. We fight. I'm sure when we get into our summary, which, by the way, <laughs> yes, we recognize that we went a little overboard last time. So we're yes. we're doing going to do a better job this time. <laughs> but um, the best moments in this trilogy have been in the quiet moments, in the character moments. I mean, your favorite chapter in the last book was literally characters <laughs> yeah. sitting with each other. Yeah. And you don't get too much of that. And then also, I think there there are very interesting elements in this book, but I think they're only interesting if you mine the appendices <laughs> or mine outside <sighs> sources. If you're just reading this book by itself, you are missing out on a lot of context that makes a lot of the decisions by the characters as well as decisions uh, by the narrative by Tolkien you're missing a lot missing out on a lot of things that make this book actually interesting yeah and you'll have to enlighten me on some of those because i skimmed parts of the appendices <laughs> mostly i i read the aragorn and arwen section and then i read about the very little bit about gimli and legolas that happens afterwards and that's pretty much what i read of the appendices, and I do not have an encyclopedia, David Day or otherwise. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure that I was missing out on quite a bit. But it's not it's not a good thing if you have to go to appendices or outside <laughs> sources to really wrestle true comprehension or enjoyment out of a thing, in my personal yeah. opinion. <laughs> I guess this is kind of our segue into the summary. <laughs> yes. uh, as uh, you've already said, we, we did go too long last time. So I have pulled up the Wikipedia summary to helpfully help me keep this brief. Because normally I just kind of freewheel. Um, and we're not, we're not going to do that this time. Well, okay. Before you get started, not to, you know, be that guy. No, no, go. Who jumps in and says like, fuck you to any kind of criticism. Morgan, I think you're a great summary teller. And I and I think the amount of detail that we include that we do actually think is important to comprehending the story. Like there we're not just we're not just going off for the sake of going yeah. off. Like we think this is important. I've heard from two people who have praised, you know, which two people accounts for like 20% of our audience. <laughs> but we should probably not do our episode-long summaries going forward. That's probably a little excessive. My new strategy is, you know, if there's some extra detail, I we feel like adding during the summary for sure. But I also feel like we can backtrack if we want to elaborate and talk about something more later. So we'll see how this goes. And if we decide in the future to go back to <laughs> hour-long summaries, we always can. Well, there you go. All right. Well, without... without further ado i guess right the return of the king so we open on uh where we left off uh in the non-proto sam portion so gandalf is taking pippin to gondor um and mary and aragorn and legolas and gimli are still with theoden and are going to basically get rohan ready to help gondor out gandalf and pippin arrive at minas tirith sort of gondor's capital city to warn the steward Denethor, a.k.a. Boromir and Faramir's dad, 
about everything. Um, and pretty quickly, Pippin swears allegiance to him. Because <laughs> he feels bad because Boromir died defending him. Which is, you know, fair. And on the other side of things, Mary, in a kind of mirror of that, swears his allegiance to Theoden. So we have this mirror situation going on. Neither of them are taken very seriously because yeah. they're hobbits. But they both sworn loyalty. And over on the Theoden side, uh, Aragorn is like, hey, uh, some of his like ranger bodies have shown up. And they're like, hey, dude, so some stuff you have to do. And he's like, yeah, I do have to do that stuff. So I'm going to go walk the path of the dead. Like all the Rohirrim people are like, oh, no. But everyone's like, sorry, this is my path I must walk. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Also, sorry, Mary, I'm taking Legolas and Gimli with me. So you are going to be left alone here. Mary's like, really? What? What? Say what again? But... Sure enough, Aragorn uh, rides off, but not before he has another encounter with Eowyn, in which she's like, please don't do that, you're gonna die. <laughs> and he's like, I am going to do that. So, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> for you. And then she's like, well then take me with you. And he's like, nope, not gonna do that. The subtext is that she's like, I want to be with you. And he's like, no, that's not happening. Yes, it's, uh, she gets rejected. Perhaps in the most condescending way. We'll talk yes. more about Aragorn in this book. We absolutely <laughs> will. The important thing to know is that she like offers to basically die for him. And he's like, Mm-mm, nope, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> so uh, they head off and Mary is left alone with the Rohirrim. On the Gondorian side, uh, Pippin gets like to know the city, uh, meets Faramir, gets to watch a very awkward conversation between Denethor and Faramir in which Denethor is like I really would have preferred you to be the one to die <laughs> and Faramir's like um <laughs> well I'm gonna go try and you know defend the city and probably die doing it so I hope you think better of me later dad and Denethor's like hmm maybe I will we'll see <laughs> uh, so Faramir heads off to do that Oh, boy, the daddy issues. Great stuff. The daddy issues. We can all relate to, to, to Farmir. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so after that very personal side, over on the uh, the Rohan side, Mary's like all prepared to go to war with uh, Theoden and the rest. And Theoden's like, I'm not taking you to war. <laughs> You're a hobbit. Stay here. Like, help Eowyn out. It'll be fine. And Mary's like, understandably, very upset about this. But then a mysterious rider of Rohan is like, hey, hey, Mary, I will take you with me. Shh. <laughs> and this person calls themselves uh, Dernhelm, and Mary gets to ride along with him uh, as they head towards Gondor to help out. Uh, and our third plot plot point of this, uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and uh, a lot of rangers, and also, like, Elrond's sons. Yeah. They're there, are taking the paths of the dead. <laughs> And this is to basically retrieve some uh, dead people that are bound by a curse to essentially be like zombies, except they don't need to eat brains. 
<laughs> I'm trying to figure out how best to describe them. They're like dead people who aren't dead. Yeah, they're... I guess ghosts? Everywhere we look, Scoob, giggling green ghosts. But they can interact with the world in a way many ghosts cannot. How the hell do you know that? But yeah, essentially they're, they're cursed because they were supposed to help out Aragorn's ancestor. And then they were cowards and didn't. And so now he's basically calling in their debt. Well, to be more precise, because this is a, a point, <laughs> they were cursed because they actually had pledged allegiance to Sauron. And rather than help Isildur, they just didn't even bother to come. And Isildur's like, you jerks. I curse you to never rest until you fulfill your oath. And basically Aragorn's coming in as the new king to have these ghosts fulfill their oath. But in the book, he doesn't bring them, like, all the way to Minas Tirith. He uses them to defeat some uh, evil humans they're, well, they're basically who are pirates. sailing. Okay, sure, pirates. That's, that's, a, that's a good way. Who are sailing in to help the armies of Mordor. So he uses the dead to take these ships and then use the ships to, like, help transport more soldiers to Gondor. And we'll skip ahead a bit to say he helps, you know, turn the tide of battle. But before all this, you know, Minas Tirith is uh, being besieged. Denethor's like, there's no hope. Faramir's, like, almost been killed. People are freaking out. But then the writers of Rohan show up. Woo! We love to see it. <laughs> they start helping out with the battle. They end up doing quite a bit of damage, but then the Witch King, who we discussed briefly in the last book, he's there leading the forces of Mordor, and he decides to have a go at Theoden, and uh, he does kill Theoden. Mm. Okay, I'm sorry to be technical about this. Yeah. For whatever reason, they really unfairly blame the horse, Theoden's <laughs> horse, for yes. crushing, which technically is true, but there's a freaking Nazgul who f***ing attacks this horse in Theoden and caused the horse to, like, rear up and fall down and crush Theoden's body. And really just a smear campaign launched against this horse. We'll have to... They have, like, a tombstone thing or epigraph for the, the horse, and it's, like, the most brutal two lines. It's so funny. <laughs> but yes, technically the Witch King does not, like, directly kill him, but... You know, essentially, like, freaking out the horse so bad causes Theoden to die. Like, it, it is a... He is the one ultimately responsible. Not this poor horse. <laughs> yes. So I'm just undoing this smear campaign. There you go. <laughs> but then, uh, Durnhelm reveals himself to actually be herself, Eowyn. Wait, what? I know, we're all shocked. <laughs> and... <laughs> she and Mary end up battling the Witch King. And the Witch King's like, what do you think you're doing? No man could kill me. And she's like, I am no man. But, like, actually, it's it's a combination of her and Mary. Basically, while she's kind of, the Witch King's managed to spook her some, Mary manages to, like, stab him in the side. And then she manages to stab him in the face. <laughs> and their combined power takes down the Witch King. But they're, of course, both. Gravely wounded because they just fought a very powerful supernatural force of evil. Yes. Um, after this, Aomer realizes that Theoden's dead and also Eowyn, he thinks, is dead. And he's like, Aah! 
<laughs> and goes out to like, you know, basically on a, a death ride, but that's when Aragorn shows up and helps save them. Within the city itself, Denethor was planning to burn himself and Faramir alive until Pippin intervenes, gets Gandalf, and enlists the aid of this guardsman that he's become friends with to... Bergond, I think his name is. ...keep Denethor from burning Faramir alive. Denethor does manage to succeed in burning himself alive, so... It was a tragic loss for everyone. (laughs) 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 That was sarcasm. So, to be uh, fair to Denethor, he's a much more tragic figure, I think, in this book yes. than, than he, he still sucks. He, though. Yes, he, he literally did say to his son, "I wish you were dead and your brother alive." So yes, not a lot actual of actual words that came out of his mouth. Yeah. So he also then tried to burn his son alive. So no one's dad is perfect. Okay. <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) we can get into this later (laughs) but uh, basically uh, through a combination of all these forces the day is won Gondor is saved Aragorn (laughs) there's this like funny thing which I don't know how much we'll like actually talk about this so I want to bring it up in the summary Sure. where like Aragorn's like I am not going to enter the city until they accept me as king but then Faramir, Eowyn, and Merry are all, like, dying. <laughs> and Gandalf's like, they need someone to heal them. And that someone must be you. Because, like, uh, someone says, like... The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Something like that. Yes. And so he's like, okay, I will come in just this once to heal them. But I am not staying until they accept me as king. So he comes in, helps heal them. And then... Basically, him and all the other leaders who are not gravely injured decide to take a force to the Black Gate of Mordor to hopefully, like, help distract him and help Frodo and Sam complete their mission. Pippin actually goes along with them, so, like, kudos to Pippin. <laughs> His moment. I, I don't think we'll necessarily talk about this moment, but Pippin's moment at the Black Gate makes me laugh. Pippin stabbed some orc or troll, and this creature fell on top of him, crushing him. And <laughs> and the, the last thing he remembers hearing is somebody crying, the eagles are coming, the eagles are coming. And Pippin, self-aware, thinks to himself, Bilbo. But no, that came in his tale long, long ago. This is my tale, and it is ended now. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a, in his thoughts he, he literally thinks goodbye and then he faints <laughs> you just gotta love Pippin there's just something so precious about that moment <laughs> okay anyway right so before that all happens when they get to the black gate this creature thing person uh, who calls himself the mouth of Sauron rides out and is like hey look at this Hobbit clothing. We caught your other hobbits. And everyone, of course, freaks out thinking that Frodo and Sam must be dead. No! But they they fight anyways, because really, what else can they do with their time? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, if if Frodo and Sam are dead and the ring's back with Sauron, it's going to happen sooner or later. And the, the battle is 
going, you know, not necessarily the greatest for the good guys. When Pippin is wounded, as you mentioned, hears someone say the eagles are coming and then passes out. And that is the end of that part of the book. And then we transition back to Frodo and Sam. Really, we transition back to Sam. Sam is preparing to rescue Frodo from uh, the tower he got taken into by the orcs at the end of the previous book. There's a lot of maneuvering to get him in there, but he does manage to get in. And uh, in order to figure out where Frodo is, like he is able to mostly get in because the orcs have been fighting over Frodo's possessions, mostly his mithril shirt. <laughs> yes. And have, like, all killed them, each other. Like, there are only, like, two or three orcs left alive in the entire tower. Yeah. So there's just dead orc bodies everywhere. But when he gets to the top, he can't find Frodo. So he starts singing, and then Frodo starts singing back, and that's how they find each other. Somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight. I thought was an interesting detail. That's beautiful. But yeah, so he uh, gets Frodo back, gives him back the ring, and they head off to, you know, destroy the ring. There's a lot of discussion of how they travel across Mordor, conversations between the two of them about how hard it is, whether they're going to be able to make it back, their plans. Frodo has, like, zero hope any of this is going to happen. He's like, I'm going to just keep going because I have to, but, like, I don't think I can do this. There is, of course, the iconic moment where Sam's like, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Come on! gives Frodo a nice little piggyback. And uh, they finally get to the cracks of doom. And who should show up and attack them from behind but Gollum. And Frodo, like, draws on the power of the ring to be like, f*** off. And then Sam's like, why don't you go ahead and I'll, I'll deal with this once and for all. Frodo's like, okay, I'm off. So Sam stays behind to deal with Gollum, but he ends up feeling so bad for Gollum, who's just so pathetic. That he, in a moment of pity, lets him go. And then goes to follow Frodo. And he finds Frodo standing there. He's like, what's up? And Frodo's like, actually, I am keeping the ring. It's mine now. <laughs> so he's like, no! <laughs> Gollum, who, like, has no honor, as we've been shown multiple times, uh, did not keep his word to Sam to, like, go f*** off and, uh, attacks Frodo after Frodo puts on the ring to make himself invisible. He bites Frodo's finger off to get the ring and then is so excited and happy to have the ring back that he's just dancing there happily and loses his footing and falls off the edge into the fire, destroying the ring. That's that's how the ring gets destroyed. Okay, I, I hear your obvious skepticism about this moment, but I do... We can get into this later. I just want... I want it on the record that I dispute your characterization of this scene. Okay. We'll uh, put a pin in it, and that can be the first thing we discuss. Sure. When we get done with the summary. So now with the ring destroyed, Sauron has lost all his power... His armies start fleeing. Frodo and Sam still think they're going to die because they're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Right next to an active volcano. Yes, yeah. yes. It's very sensible that they think they're going to die. Very, very sensible. 
But the eagles come and get them. Yay, eagles. They are brought back to the forces that were besieging the gate, where they are healed, and they find out everything that's going on since. And then they travel with everyone back to Gondor, where Aragorn is, is crowned king and marries Arwen. And shortly after this, I believe in chapter 16, it might even be 17, uh-huh. we get to hear Arwen speak for the first time. <laughs> and I, I should say that there is a chapter in here before they get back that's about uh, Eowyn and Faramir healing and getting to know each other and growing to love each other and deciding to get hitched. So that happens. A beautiful mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> right. So they come back and, and Faramir crowns Aragorn. Aragorn then marries Arwen. And after that, they decide to uh, ride back to Rohan and take Theoden's body with them to bring it back to Rohan. They stop at Helm's Deep and Legolas and Ghibli get to go check out the caves together. And then they head to Isengard first to make sure everything's okay there. And Treebeard's like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. It's, it's fine. Also, we let Saruman go. It's fine. <laughs> and Gandalf's like, oh my god. <laughs> Y'all. You stupid, stupid tree. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, then uh, after that, Legolas and Gimli decide to split off because they want to go see Fanghorn. Fangorn. Yes, I know. It keeps trying to be an H. Even now. <laughs> even today. Fangorn. I think now I'm paranoid enough about it that it just happens. Mm. <sighs> Anywho, they decide to split off for their, you know, forest honeymoon. And this <laughs> is the end of the fellowship. They are, they are now splitting off and, and someone, I can't remember who. It might be Aragorn. Makes a comment. No, I think it's Gimli, actually. I think it's Gimli. Makes a comment that he doesn't think they will all ever be together again. Very dramatic goodbyes, for sure. Yeah. On their their way, continuing on, uh, they do run into Saruman and Grandma Wormtown, and uh, they, like, offer mercy, but no. Those two are just, like, happy to be evil beggar people. They, yeah, we should be clear. Like, they are fucking... <laughs> broken miserable people like Saruman at this point he seems like he has no power at all he's just a miserable slinking creature really just a shadow of his former self which is why Treebeard let him go because it's just like what possible harm could this guy do yeah (laughs) they part with Aragorn at some point and they continue on to Rivendell where they see Bilbo who has aged much because of the ring being destroyed and they say their you know goodbyes to him although Frodo promises to to come back and see him again and Alaron's like hey if you don't come back really soon it's gonna be too late why don't you instead look for me and Bilbo in the future he gives a specific date I can't remember when but he's like we'll we'll be uh in the woods by the Shire so come see us then but it's like okay so they continue on uh they get to Bree where they 
reunite with the innkeeper, innkeeper there and discovers <laughs> there's just been some odd goings on, some strange stuff. Not all is well in the Shire. And they're they're going the next day to head back to the Shire, find out what's going on. And they're like, Gandalf, come with us to help put things to right. And Gandalf's like, nope, not my job anymore. The ring's been destroyed, so it's your job now. <laughs> I'm going to go see Tom Bombadil. <sighs> he says something like, Tom is a moss gatherer, and my doom has been to be a, a rolling stone. But now that the ring is destroyed, he, he actually has time to pause and hang out with Tom Bombadil. It's very nice. I know you don't care, but I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, our hobbits finally get back to the Shire, only to discover that some evil has taken over. At first, it seems like it's uh, Frodo's cousin... Lo- is it Lotho? Lotho? Lotho. Yeah, one of the Saxville Bagginses. Yes, one of the ones who bought his house. But then it becomes clear that even though he, everyone has to call him the chief, and it seems like all these men are working for him to help keep the hobbits in line and not let them drink beer or smoke, that actually <laughs> the men are the ones in charge. So our hobbits rally the other hobbits and help them defeat the men, and then they go up to Bag End to deal with whatever's going on up there, and who should they discover but Saruman and Wormtongue. Oh, my God. Turns out that they just went straight to the Shire. How did you get back here before us? Uh, how did we, Kronk? Well, you got me. By all accounts, it doesn't make sense. They're the sort of masterminds behind this plot. But our, our hobbits are strong enough to turn them out. And the the relationship between Wormtongue and, and Saruman at this point is, like, very, very toxic. Like, you oh, know, yes. it clearly Saruman feels he has no power. And so, you know, takes out everything on the one person he can, Wormtongue. This has made Wormtongue hate him so much that he ends up just murdering Saruman right in front of Bag End. <laughs> And then he's killed by hobbit archers. <laughs> Thus ends the uh, battle to save the Shire. Mm. So after that, you know, Marion and Pippin and Sam are celebrated as heroes. They start trying to restore the Shire. Sam uses his gift from Gladriel to help regrow trees everywhere and heal the Shire. Frodo moves back into Bag End and... Uh, there's this very cute exchange where, like, a year in, Frodo's like, Sam, why are you not living with me yet? And Sam's like, well, Mr. Frodo, <laughs> you see, this girl Rosie, I kind of had a thing for her, and she kind of had a thing for me, but I didn't tell her. So then there's, like, this whole thing, and now she wants to get married, and that's, like, you know, a problem. I feel like I'm, you know, being drawn in two directions. And Frodo's like, that's not a problem. Get married and move in with me. <laughs> so Sam gets married, and he and Rosie move in with Frodo and Bag End. They end up having their first kid there. You know, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice thruple situation. It is, it is. Except Frodo is still depressed and wounded from having, you know, carried the ring for, like, so long Mm -hmm. and everything he had to do. And so after, like, two years, he ends up being like, hey, Sam, 
come on, there's there's something something I got to do. I want you to come with me. Like, tell Rosie I got to steal you for a little bit. Like, you'll be home soon. So I was like, okay. So he goes with Frodo, and they meet up with a whole bunch of elves, including Elrond, and Gladriel's there, and Bilbo's also there, and also Gandalf's there. Like, a lot of people are there. <laughs> and he's like, Sam, I am, I am leaving. I am going to go with the elves to sail across the sea to the Undying Lands. Basically to like backtrack where this is all foreshadowed in the like one time Arwen speaks because Arwen, who has decided to stay and be mortal with Aragorn, basically gives Frodo her spot on the ship. Yeah. So he is able to go. Merry and Pippin ride up because Gandalf let them know what was going on because Frodo was apparently going to peace out on them without saying goodbye. And they all say goodbye to Frodo. He sails off. The three of them ride back in silence to the Shire, and I just want to read just the very, very last lines. At last they rode over the downs and took the east road, and then Merry and Pippin rode on to Buckland, and already they were singing again as they went, but Sam turned to Bywater, and so came back up the hill, as the day was ending once more, and he went on, and there was yellow light and fire within, and the evening meal was ready, and he was expected, and Rose drew him in and set him in his chair and put little Eleanor upon his lap. He drew a deep breath. Well? I'm back. And that's the end of The Lord of the Rings. Regardless of anything else, the last chapter is so f***ing good. It just hit me in all the feels, just as like a a culmination of all these things, of all the the trekking. I mean, Frodo's farewell speech, just yeah, yeah. I mean, the ending will never not be good. If you screw up the ending to this story, like you really screwed up because it's it's really good. I mean, yeah, Frodo's whole speech about how oh, I'm just gonna read it. Sorry. It's just so good. Yeah, no, please, please. Sam is like, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire too for years and years after all you've done. So I thought too once, but I've been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. That's just... That's just a lot. Yeah. And I'm going to continue because I just think the whole, ugh. But you are my heir. All that I had and might have had, I leave to you. And also you have Rose and Eleanor, that's Sam's daughter. And Frodo Lad will come because they want to name their son after Frodo. And Rosie Lass and Mary and Goldilocks and Pippin and perhaps more than I cannot see. Your hands and your wits will be needed everywhere. You will be the mayor, of course, as long as you want to be, and the most famous gardener in history. And you will read things out of the Red Book, and keep alive the memory of the age that is gone, so that people will remember the great danger, and so love their beloved land all the more. And that will keep you as busy and as happy as anyone can be, as long as your part of the story goes on. Frodo! I love Frodo so much! I love him so much! What I love about that moment is that 
Like we talked in the last episode about how much of a slog <laughs> Frodo's story <sighs> is. Certainly, I mean, if you thought it was bad in the two towers, <laughs> oh my God, it is just devastating in this book because now they are just in Mordor and it's just nothingness. It's a barren wasteland. They keep running into obstacles. They run out of water, run out of food. They're constantly facing a desire to just give up. There's a very interesting dialogue that Sam has with himself. Very kind of Smeagol-esque, actually. Yes. Where he is basically just like, give up, dude. You could just go to sleep and it will be done. And you'll never have to worry about it. Which um, parallels something that Denifor says where it's like, hey, we're all going to be dead anyway. So what does it matter? So you have all this misery that they are mm. mired in. And then you have this moment of final reflection from Frodo. And you just feel every ounce of appreciation from him for his friend. And it's just, it's just so powerful. There's just like no way to get through this last chapter without crying, you know? <laughs> I think what really makes it effective is that it doesn't come off as sappy or unearned because there's no like, there's no we'll live happily ever after. There's just a recognition that like this friendship is over now. Frodo is moving on and Sam will never. Well, I guess that's debatable, wow. but but theoretically, <laughs> Sam will never see Frodo again. And, you know, you have that moment with Gimli, right, that we mentioned earlier that we are never all as a single group going to meet each other again. They they do see each other individually. Right. But never as a group. And it's just this acknowledgement that there's loss. There's real tangible loss. And it doesn't sugarcoat it. It acknowledges that it's hard and it sucks. There's also like a lot of beauty and love and appreciation. <sighs> Frodo yeah. is good. Ugh. I love Frodo so much. I just, I think, I'm so sorry to segue from being so... No, 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 Us no. being very admiring of the ending into, like, some of the things that disappointed me. But, like, and I, and I think we can talk about uh, feminine coding. But, like, Frodo, his job is so... Like, obviously, there's a huge physical element to it, like yeah. surviving long enough to like get there and traveling across all of that very desolate terrain. But like so much of it is mental, just him continuing despite everything, despite carrying this ring that makes him want to give up, despite the fact that he has no hope. And, and we talked already a little bit about the power of that, but like. We don't really get his perspective much in this book, and and one of the things that you can see over the course of the series is perspective switching from Frodo to Sam in their moments together. Like fellowship is almost all Frodo. Right. Two towers, it kind of begins splitting. And then really in Return of the King, we're getting Sam's perspective, which makes sense because Frodo's perspective is probably just like ring, 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 ring. That's just what's go like he has no capacity for pretty much anything else. So it makes sense. Let me read the line where it's just like, things are not great for, things are not great for Frodo. Sam is talking about that rabbit that they ate back in the two towers. 
talking about the day they saw the Oliphant. And he's like, do you remember those things, Frodo? And Frodo says, no, I'm afraid not, Sam. At least I know that such things happened, but I cannot see them. No taste of food, no feel of water, no sound of wind, no memory of tree or grass or flower, no image of moon or star are left to me. I am naked in the dark, Sam, and there is no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I begin to see it even with, with my waking eyes, and all else fades. Right. So Frodo's in a really dark f***ing place. So six, yeah, 60 pages of, I want to put the ring on, I want to put the ring <laughs> wouldn't be the most uh, riveting right. read. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I fully understand the narrative reason why it switches to Sam's perspective. And uh, you know, I appreciate Sam so much. Yeah. But like, the struggle that Frodo goes through, I mean, like, I think a lot of people who have dealt with like mental illness of Mm -hmm. any kind can relate so much to that experience of battling with this thing that is in a lot of ways inside you it is you and yes like obviously he's dealing with exterior forces <laughs> yes. but like i think you can definitely read it that way so i think that there's just and and the fact that of course in the end he's not strong enough to throw the ring in i mean that is such a such tragic moment such a horrifically sad moment i knew going in that's that's Fredo's story right and i think that what made it even harder for me in this book, especially with the the f***ing YouTube video I <laughs> saw from Mela. Again, I want to reiterate, I love Sam so much. I think, in my personal opinion, they're the hero because they're together. The whole point yeah. is they could not have done it on their own. Sam could not have carried the ring on his own. That would not work. The whole point is that, like, they are there for each other and it is their friendship their companionship that gets them both through this. I don't know if Sam would have been able to, if they would have been able to switch places with Sam carrying the ring and Frodo being the support. I don't know if that would have worked. I think we could speculate a lot on it, but it's hard to see Frodo's role, which is a very passive role. It's a role of endurance and just like getting through it. It, even the narrative itself doesn't, seem to think at this point it's as important and I think that what really killed me is that moment where Sam is the one to let Gollum go and to sort of echo Bilbo's moment of pity and I know Frodo's already done that to some extent he had that same moment of having the moment of pity for Gollum and and letting him go but this is clearly this is clearly one that's meant to like directly tie back to Bilbo's the most and sort of be the bookend of that experience. And it was really hard for me, especially since unlike in the movie, which I again knew this going in, Frodo does is not at all active in getting the ring over the cliff. He decides to put the ring on, Gollum bites it off, Gollum falls over on his own. Like if Frodo is has no part in that. So Frodo then becomes just this completely passive figure even in the end, and, and, and doesn't get to have, like, one single moment of, of, of agency in, in destroying the ring. So then it, it does seem like the story itself positions Sam as, like, yes, if Sam had not had this moment of pity, Frodo would have taken the ring for himself, Sauron would have annihilated Frodo and gotten the ring back, and, and that's just so hard for me. I, I'm, Sam's heroism is so important and so good, and he has so many excellent moments in this book, 
But it kills me that in the end, in this final moment, like, I don't mind Frodo failing. I think that's incredibly like, strong and powerful and a good narrative thing. But it kills me that he has absolutely no agency in the end. And that this whole book just seems to be building Sam up to then, you know, be the hero. And I, I love Sam, but like Sam is not the point. The point is the two of them. And so I think I, I found that really, really, really frustrating. And it wasn't something I actually knew happened in the book because it's not something that happens in the movie. And it wasn't something anyone had told me. And so I think reading it again with the fact that I had just seen that YouTube thumbnail, (laughs) which I want to say again, that video might be great. But and now, of course, having heard that apparently Tolkien himself considered Sam the real hero, that just makes me hate that more. Because, like, Death of the Author, Tolkien's dead and he's wrong. Sam is not the real hero of the story, you know? Like, he is one of the heroes. But that is the point, Tolkien! Yeah. I'm just so, so angry about it. I have so many Frodo feelings, and I just feel like, in the end, he was done a disservice. You know, I... let Let me start by saying I think you're right. Thank you. Because I do think that it is, in part, a misread on Tolkien's part of where the heroism between these two characters lied. It was, as you said, within each other. And that's what made the fellowship so powerful, right? Mm -hmm. We ended with a whole discussion about the power of friendship. Obviously, there are certainly moments like that in here where you see that friendship flourish. And it's Mm -hmm. wonderful. But I do think you're right in that the narrative... You know, after the ring is destroyed, there's all these ceremonies honoring Frodo, acknowledging his role, but it that same role isn't acknowledged by the story itself. And I mm-hmm. do think there's a telling moment, and I wonder if that was on purpose, because there is a telling moment in the scouring of the Shire, and I think you mentioned it, Sam, Merry, and Pippin are hailed as heroes, but not Frodo, because Frodo didn't participate in the fighting. In fact, He's like, we should try to avoid as much killing as possible. Yeah. And Merry and Pippin are kind of like, eh, f*** that. Um, and, and they're always pushing like, well, Frodo, you, you know, we're going to have to fight. Which, I mean, it's true. Like, these men attack them. They, they have to. But everyone kind of dismisses Frodo out of hand. So I, I wonder if Tolkien was doing that on purpose. The question, of course, is why minimize Frodo's role. And I think there are some possible powerful reasons why you mentioned mental illness. And I think that's a very good parallel or even allegory you can draw from this book. (laughs) Reminder for people, Tolkien hated allegory. So anyway, (laughs) so you could draw that about how so much of it is internal, where a lot of the stigma against mental illness is because so much of it operates internally it doesn't seem like if you just look at a person's exterior you don't see what the big deal is Uh, in, in my read i drew some comparisons to addiction where after the ring is destroyed arwen actually gives frodo her like gem which is on a necklace to wear and we see moments throughout the end of the book where frodo touches it perhaps in a very similar way that he touched the ring which put me in mind of like there are some people who deal with addiction where they 
kind of simulate the actions of whatever their addiction was, right? Which an addiction is a very internal thing as well. I mean, it can manifest Mm -hmm. in, in physical symptoms, but for the most part, uh, it's, it's a very internal battle that you don't see somebody fighting. And, you know, also you can like probably relate it back to PTSD, which I'm sure that Tolkien, for those who may not know, Tolkien fought in the first world war. And it's very clear (laughs) that Frodo is dealing with what was turned back then as shell shock. He's not able to get over that psychological damage. And I'm torn because I hear what you're saying. I feel that the story elevates Sam at the cost of Frodo. But I do think pushing Frodo down, to me, is a very effective way of illustrating the way internalized damage can be minimized where you just don't see it if you're not looking if you're not considerate and compassionate of it this is something that frodo has to deal with by himself because there there just aren't any resources to help him really outside of basically going to the undying lands and where where he will be healed it's a very powerful signifier where frodo is invisible to some degree, in this narrative, and a lot of the damage he's dealing with is also itself invisible. I mean, I I agree with you in terms of like, sorry, I cut you off. You go. No, 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 no. I I I I just wish, like you said, that it didn't have to come at the expense of his narrative role in this. It's not a contest of who suffered the most, <laughs> but clearly Frodo suffered the most. No one right. had to deal with what he had to deal with. To suggest that, like, Sam is the real hero, it almost, <laughs> it's a slap in the face of Frodo. Yes, it is. And, and you know, I, I actually really agree with you on, like, the scouring of the Shire bit. Because Frodo does come in and he's like, and part of it is he doesn't want the hobbits to kill people. It's not just that he doesn't want people dead. Like, he doesn't want people dead, period. But he especially doesn't want the hobbits to have to kill people. And I think that's him still trying to save the Shire. But, of course, there's no... He gets no thanks for that. No one is happy about that. And what ends up happening is that, you know, Saruman and Wormtongue are murdered right in front of his front door. Yeah. His cousin was, I didn't even mention this, murdered in in the house itself. Wormtongue killed Lotho in the house. Right. And then he lives there for two years. I think that, like, that part and the hobbits not recognizing him and, and fawning over Merry and Pippin and Sam, I think is an excellent, yeah, representation of how Sometimes, like, there's not that understanding from outsiders about what you've done, what you're dealing with, etc. My issue is is with the narrative in in that sort of, like, the actual climax of the book, which weirdly happens, like, 75% of the way through. <laughs> yes, yeah. That there's not really a moment there. And then even, oh, this also made me so mad. And I think part of it is that, like, obviously, I know how it's done another way. Like, I've seen another version of the same story. I've seen the movies. And the movies do handle this differently. They give Frodo some agency in that final moment. And then in the next the next moment, when they wake up after having been saved by the eagles, we're still in Sam's perspective. We wake up with Sam, and Frodo has already, like, been awake and, like, talked with Gandalf some. We just totally miss... Yeah, I think that was, a, that, that was a narrative mistake to stick with Sam's perspective in that moment. Yeah, it's just so hard to see 
Frodo just kind of pushed out by the narrative. Yeah. Um, and in those moments before, because I, I guess I would give Tolkien more credit if it was just like the scouring of the Shire. I agree with you on everything about that. But it's these moments that happened before that seem to indicate that Frodo's not as important and we shouldn't be, I don't know, considering him as such. I just had a really, really rough time with that. It made me really unhappy and it which kind of sucked because <laughs> I, I wanted to be enjoying the end of the book. I was deeply unhappy about Frodo. He deserves all the credit. Like, I am number one Frodo stan right now. I am here to fight for him. You have my sword. If I could bring Tolkien back from the dead and fight for my wife, Frodo, I would. I love him so much. Let me, okay. I, a thought popped up into my head. Let's, <laughs> let me try to run okay. with it. Perhaps your reaction might be the point. Hear me out. So if you recall in The Two Towers, where Faramir has that speech about how this almost degradation of values within Gondor, where what is praised is strength and valor in battle. So the warriors become the heroes rather than the artists or, or, or the historians or whoever else you want to include in that group. And so we see an example of that taking place in the Shire where it's the warrior figures in that battle. And I think of all the battles that Tolkien depicts in this series, it's the most effective one where the kind of anticlimactic nature of it actually works because it is just a sad, sad affair, which I think is adds to the irony that Merry and Pippin and Sam are celebrated as heroes because it's not like there's nothing to celebrate. Like the Shire is destroyed. We are celebrating the wrong things. It is because of Frodo in that moment that things don't become worse. That it's, it doesn't turn into a slaughter that will really be a dark point in the history of the Shire. We can like speculate that if it was just Merry, Pippin, and Sam in charge of leading this battle, that a lot more men would be killed, possibly more mm -hmm. hobbits, and the weight of that, and, and we've seen throughout this series the, the weight of past events on the landscape, or just on people, the weight of that would, would be there as a stain on the Shire forever. And there's a very powerful moment, actually, with Saruman at the end, where Saruman is about to leave, he's just like turning to walk away, and the narrative says, a dozen hobbits, led by Sam, leaped forward with a cry and flung the villain to the ground. Sam drew his sword. No, Sam, said Frodo. Do not kill him even now, for he has not hurt me. And in any case, I do not wish him to be slain in this evil mood. He was great once, of a noble kind that we should not dare to raise our hands against. He has fallen, and his cure is beyond us. But I would still spare him in the hope that he may find it. Then Saruman gets up and looks at Frodo. There was a strange look in his eyes, of mingled wonder and respect and hatred. You have grown, Halfling, he said. Yes, you have grown very much. You are wise and cruel. You have robbed my revenge of sweetness, and now I must go hence in bitterness, in debt to your mercy. I hate it and you. Will I go and I will trouble you no more? So it's this powerful moment where Frodo is like, revenge is not going to heal anything, right? You know, Sam is, is getting ready to murder Saruman and spoil the Shire. Yeah. Frodo steps in and stops that. And 
in some ways, again, saves the Shire. And nobody appreciates it. Nobody realizes it. Perhaps in a subtle way, perhaps a too subtle way, <laughs> Tolkien is calling that out. Tolkien is telling us like, hey, something's wrong about this history. Something's wrong about the way people are remembering this. This is not a heroic moment for Sam, Mary, and Pippin. If there is a hero at all in this sequence of events, it is Frodo. But because the world has degraded in its values, it can't even recognize that. It, it's sad. It's very, very sad. Okay, that's, that's my long-winded argument that maybe the way you're supposed to feel was an intentional act. Uh, I that's undermined by his letters suggesting that Sam is the hero. But I, I do. Th so I think that in the case of the scouring of the Shire, you're absolutely right. I think the narrative is on Frodo's side for that entire chapter. That's it. <laughs> I think that the narrative is is not necessarily. So, OK, I'm not saying at any point that the, the narrative is presenting Sam as like a flawless person. I mean, we talked quite a bit about In Two Towers, like his moment with Gollum, this like unkind word that really is like the reason that Gollum is 100% pushed away, you know? Frodo is the one that's really compassionate to Gollum and, and I, that's presented as a good thing. And, and maybe part of the point of, of Sam getting the moment of pity for Gollum is because he didn't have that moment before. But I think it's that's so difficult because it I mean it gives Sam the hero moment, right? Like Sam gets the hero moment that leads to the destruction of the ring. It'd be one thing if let me pull up that moment just to make sure I'm not wrong about this. But like it'd be one thing if if he had this thing he was like, what would Frodo do? <laughs> yeah. But I believe it says Sam's hand wavered. His mind was hot with wrath and the memory of evil. It would be just to slay this treacherous, murderous creature, just and many times deserved. And also it seemed the only safe thing to do. But deep in his heart there was something that restrained him. He could not strike this thing lying in the dust, forlorn, ruinous, utterly wretched. He himself, though only for a little while, had borne the ring, and now dimly he guessed the agony of Gollum's shriveled mind and body, enslaved to that ring, unable to find peace or relief ever in life again. That's the moment when Sam decides to spare Gollum. And as you can see, there's absolutely zero mention of Frodo anywhere in there. Instead, it's because now he carried that, the ring for that short period of time that Frodo was imprisoned. And so that enables him to have compassion, which I think is actually kind of interesting. But it's, it's rough for me because, like, Frodo, Frodo did it right with Gollum. Like, yes. He had pity. He had compassion. He treated him well. He really tried his gosh darn hardest. Yeah. And Sam wasn't good. And, and, you know, we see Sam apologize after he calls Gollum a sneak in Two Towers and, like, he realizes instantly he shouldn't have done that. But, like, I wish that in some way this moment had at least been tied back to Frodo in some... In order to, to let there be a little bit of, like, Frodo's heroism shining through even in Sam's heroism. And I think that would have also pushed through the point of the story even more, that, like, it takes the two of them, the two of them together are what gets 
the ring to the end and causes it to be destroyed. And so if Sam hesitated in that moment and thought about some discussion he had with Frodo or thought about, I don't know, even just thinking about how much the ring had weighed on Frodo and now realizing how much it must have weighed on Gollum, if there had been some connection of Frodo's compassion and endurance and goodness in Sam's decision, instead of it being like, ah, yes, Sam's intrinsic goodness deep down in his heart, let him do this thing, which, like, I don't deny his deep intrinsic goodness. I just wish that, like, the narrative does seem to understand that, like, valor in battle gets praised and compassion and, and goodness and mercy and pity don't. But, like, those are the traits Frodo is shown to have in the first two books and that ultimately in the actual climax of this story, not in the scouring of the Shire, which happens afterwards, but in the actual climax of the story, those traits of Frodo's are irrelevant and instead, like, Sam gets to have this moment. That's what crushes me. Frodo deserved to have those things in some way come out. Even if it was through Sam, I would not have been mad. I would have been fine. It kind of feels like freaking Tolkien wants to have his cake and eat it too, you know? Mm. Like, that he wants to have this moment about how, like, Frodo doesn't get recognition and help us be sad about it with the Scour in the Shire and afterwards. But then, like, within the narrative itself, in those chapters, like, surrounding the ring being destroyed, we're just not... I don't want to say we're not given sympathy towards Frodo, because we certainly are, but we're not... He isn't allowed any level of his type of heroism. And I think that's sad and tragic, and I'm upset about it. <laughs> and you know what? I think the movie did it better. <laughs> Take that back, you fiend! Oh my god. Actually, I want to build on this too, because I think that also in the, the chapter afterwards, or the couple chapters after... I think one of the weaknesses of Return of the King as a whole that's exemplified through those is that, like, the fellowship is not given its due. Everyone talks about that cheesy scene in the movie where they all, like, slow-mo run in and, like, jump uh -huh. on Frodo's bed. Yeah. And it is cheesy. It is deeply cheesy. But you know what that's better than? Absolutely no moments of them reuniting or them reuniting and it just being this kind of offhand mention. Mm -hmm. And then we're supposed to feel things about the Fellowship breaking up when we didn't even get to really appreciate them being back together. <sighs> Casey, there were things I really enjoyed about this book that we will talk about. But there yes. are things I found so frustrating about this book. <laughs> like, uh. Mary and Pippin just, like, roll up at a feast and are like, hey, we're here. And Frodo and Sam are like, hey, you are. And it's not even... <sighs> <laughs> I'm glad my pain amuses you, Casey. Who knew one so small could endure so much pain? Insert disc two. Uh, I mean, catch the second part and the last part of our Lord of the Rings saga next week on Reread. See you then. See you then.